Rome um, at a meeting in the Vatican on, uh, on issues of justice around the world. It was a very interesting meeting. But on the way back, you know, if you've ever traveled overseas or been out of the country for a while, sometimes when you're on the way back, <clears throat> if you fall asleep and the air conditioner is blowing on your head in the middle of the, you know, as you're flying through the air, you wake up in hell. And so I, you know, I, I, this happened to me on the way back. I, I, I'm telling you, I feel sicker than a dog. But the good news is, is that cold medication makes me feel wonderful. It's a little out of a body experience, and I love people more. So hopefully I'll be more pleasant this morning. <laughs> We're continuing our Easter celebration. Uh, the reason we hover here for a few weeks as a community, uh, and, and this is church, this has been history, uh, Christian history for most of the years, there's been always this lingering in the celebration of, of uh, resurrection, is because resurrection is a defining issue for the church. It is in resurrection that we theologically begin to think about a new world. Jesus opened the way for things to be different. The old could pass, the new could come. And so where human beings really could be transformed, not just from external laws, but in the heart. There's a great prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Ezekiel. And he spoke prophetically of this day. He said, I will give, this is God speaking, I'm going to give, this will be a day when I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you the heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. Watch. And I will put my spirit in you. This is very different than the spirit upon us, which would happen uh, in the Old Testament. The spirit would fall upon the prophet or fall upon the king. But he's saying this is a day when the Holy Spirit would actually be in you and, and would, as a result of his presence in us, would move us, move you. This idea of being animated by another force other than just our own human will and sensibility. That we'd actually have a nudge within us that would enable us to follow God's decrees and would cause us to be careful to obey his laws or to do what he wanted us to do. The early church was all over this. I mean, they, they, they knew that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was more than just an event, that it opened up a way for them to be animated by the Holy Spirit, that as they surrendered their lives to God, that the Holy Spirit would actually be in them, causing them to do things that they would have never been able to do on their own. This morning, I want to focus on this. I want to talk about an issue of holiness. I want to, I want to, to share with you what I think holiness isn't and then what I think it is and maybe hopefully nudge us to live holier lives. Now, most of us, when we talk about holiness, it, it can set off a whole series of red flags in people's minds. But let's read the text first. This is out of 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 14, 1 Peter 1, and starting in verse 14, Peter writes, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had before when you're outside of faith, lived in your ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, that word holy just simply means to be different. Be different in all that you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. As I said, this word holiness can set off all kinds of things in people's minds. Some people think it's impossible for me to be holy. I've tried. I just can't seem to do it. Other people think that holiness is just another word for legalism or judgmentalism, you know, being judgmental of people and harsh and, and, and cold. But before we talk about what holiness is, let me give you a couple of thoughts about what it is not. First of all, holiness is not. We're not talking about self-improvement here. 
uh, some people think God wants us to be perfect and that he wants us to work on ourselves and that we've got to fight to get better and better until we look in our spiritual mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall. And we, 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 we need to be so wonderful that people confuse us with Jesus, right? Uh, the problem with that kind of approach is that it's really self-centered. It's a pursuit that's almost a narcissistic quest to become the magical me who sort of gazes at myself and valiantly fights to stay away from anything that would possibly sully my immaculate ego, right? That kind of idea. But the Christian notion of holiness has nothing to do with self-fixing or self-importance or self-centeredness or self-improvement. What Christian holiness has to do is it has to do with God and about becoming God-centered. And somehow when we become become God-centered and we begin to open ourselves up to God, it messes with us and it transforms us. So when we walk away from that encounter, we act differently. Not because we chose to, but because the encounter itself changed us. Paul talks about this in Romans. He says it in this way, Romans 11. He just got done saying about how amazing God is and how we can't get our minds around him and we can't grasp him. But in reality, he must grasp us. We must let him grasp us. And he says, he ends this little uh, little song in, in, in this uh, particular chapter, from him. Everybody say from him. Through him. I must be hungry. <laughs> say from him. Through him. To him are all things. And then he says, to him be the glory. See, for years in my Christian experience, I thought I was supposed to wake up and think, okay, what's supposed to come from me? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to share my faith. So it was always from me, through me, for God. From me, through me, for God. And, and if I ever did hit it, if I ever had a day that was a little better than another day, I would think, I did pretty good today. So my song I sang at the end of the day was, To me be the glory. To me be the glory, to me be the glory for the things I have done. <laughs> anyway, my CD is coming out next week. But the, the point is, it's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be from him, through him, and to him are all things. This, and, and as a result, Paul says in the very next verse, therefore, because everything comes from him, we should wake up and say, what are you doing today? How can I orient myself to you? It's about centeredness on God, not centeredness on my responsibilities. Centeredness on God, not centeredness on how I'm feeling. Centeredness on God. So that when I center on Him, stuff's coming from Him. I end up walking away doing things through Him, back to Him, to God be the glory. And so he says, because that's the cycle, this divine kind of thing that starts in God, flows in God, goes back to God, what happens is that uh, then I say, what is that? Huh? Oh, it's the drain. Stink, that was freaking me out. And remember, I'm medicated this morning. It was really freaking me out. <clears throat> so he says, therefore, because stuff's coming from him, through him to him, that 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's action, that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what Christianity is. This is the spiritual act of worship. This notion of presenting ourselves to a God who performs. Presenting ourselves as living sacrifice to a God whose stuff is coming from him. That when we experience it, we go and live out through him back to him. It's this notion of God-centeredness, not self-centeredness. And if you really think about the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they're pretty gruesome. You know, they bloodlet the sacrifice and then they cut open the sacrifice and they pull out all the stuff that's inside, kidneys and heart and all this, pull it all out and lay it on the altar. It's this notion, nothing hidden. And they cut open the kidneys and come on, just cut up in everything. Nothing hidden. And he's saying, Paul's using this sacrificial language and he's saying, you want to know what Christianity is? It's not about you getting your mind around God or trying to figure this out. It's not about self-improvement. It's about you coming to God and getting everything out, all your stuff out and realizing He's the one that will perform in you. This is Christianity. So again, holiness is not about us. He won't do it without us, but it's not about us. We have to cultivate a yes to the God who performs. Sweetness. All right, second thing holiness isn't. It's not the avoidance of evil. It's not the avoidance of sin. Defining holiness as the avoidance of sin would be kind of like defining a good father as being a dad who doesn't beat his children, right? I mean, surely a good dad doesn't beat his children, right? But that's not what a father is. It's more than not beating your children, right? Being a Christian, certainly as you walk in holiness, you won't be sinning with, without caution. You won't be just jumping into sin. But, but holiness is more than that. It's not just... It, it, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full or abundantly. And then he said that if you abide in me, he says, you will bear much fruit and it'll be fruit that remains. See, holiness is much more about doing and being, not about avoiding. Hmm? So it's not just the avoidance of evil. Third thing holiness is not, is it's not just doing the spiritual disciplines like prayer or fasting or study or worship. It's not, it's not just our serving. It's not just about doing those things. In fact, uh, those things are great, but they are not holiness. Now, you could argue that if you didn't pray, you couldn't encounter God. If you didn't have seasons where you pressed in, that you couldn't say yes to him, that part of the disciplines are us is what happens when we sacrifice. I mean, you could argue that. But if you're not careful, you'll think of holiness as, I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. And if you're not careful, you'll just become self-centered again and self-motivated again and miss the whole point. Okay? The fourth thing I want to say about holiness is not, is it's not a feeling. It's not getting God's feeling. I, I'm from charismatic roots, and we charismatics love feeling God's presence. You know, we love it, love it, love it. <laughs> you know, so when I pray, I want to feel the goosebumps. When I, when I, when I worship, I want, to, I want to just resonate. And I'm kind of a feely guy anyway, right? But, you know, in over 30 years of pastoral care, I found out something interesting. There's a lot of people who are more cool emotionally. They don't. They just don't blather emotionally. And, and I'll look at some people who are so holy. You, the closer you get to them, their lives really are solid and wonderful and they're giving and they're holy. And yet when you look at them during worship, they're stoic. They don't seem to, you know, they don't sing that loud. They don't cry. 
and do that stuff, you know? And then I, and they'd be wonderful. I mean, and then I'll see people who are just, I mean, they just enter in and they cry and they're on their knees and they're worshiping God. But they're some of the naughtiest people I know. <laughs> I mean, as passionate as they are about worship, they're passionate about being naughty. Holiness, you cannot, you cannot, the, 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 the litmus test, the thermometer of holiness has nothing to do with religious sentiment, how you feel. Okay, so again, holiness is not a feeling. Then fifthly, lastly, holiness is not a means to something else. Some try to manipulate their relationship with God as a means to curry favor. Or they think, if I get closer to God, then my life will be better, or I'll be happier. So they they use God and their relationship to God as some as a means to get something else. But but that's not how God designed it. I mean, some even like they'll pay tithes because they think, well, if I pay tithes, then God will bring me prosperity. Listen, I think God blesses people who give, but listen, don't don't give to get anything. Give because God says give. We should give if God says give and you will be financially ruined. We should give anyway. We should give because we're responding to God, not because we're trying to get something. I mean, how many of you know that if you get married, those of you who are single, if you get married, you actually get a tax break from the government? But note to self, don't get married for the tax break. <laughs> Marriage is bigger than the tax break you get. See, don't make this relationship with God about something else. You'll turn the whole thing upside down. It will not work. That's not what this is about. Okay. Uh, the reality is our union with him is not a pursuit to, to get something else. Our, he alone must be the supreme end of our hearts, right? Okay, so what is holiness? If not those things, what is it? Two things. I'll tell you this. Number one, it's a gift. It, it, holiness is a gift of God. It's the result of encounters with him. It's supernatural. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And because it's the work of the Holy Spirit, when you encounter God and holiness begins to come into your life, it elevates you and you start doing things that you know aren't you. You have more patience in places where you were impatient. You have more kindness in places where you were rude. You have more interest in giving yourself in places where you just wouldn't give before. And you can actually shock yourself when you start walking with God and opening your heart to God because his life starts appearing in your heart. All the day-to-day striving and effort that we have to try to open our lives to God, it's, it's nothing more than us trying to cultivate a yes to the giver of the gift. Holiness is... It's, it's, it's tasting the divine goodness, the divine happiness of God, our creator, even though we're just creatures. Somehow we, 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 we realize that God has made his very nature available to us. And so we press into him for what he is and who he is. When, when I was a kid and I, you know, if you, if you hear me talk very long, you hear me tell stories over and over because I only have one life and I, you know, it's limited. When I was a kid, about eight years old, there was this lady who was a large lady. Because I was eight, she might not have been as large as I imagined. But she was pretty large. And, uh, and she really loved 
my brothers and I, right? And so whenever she'd see us, my dad was a physician, I'm a kid, and she just had extra love. And so she would pull us and hold us, and I about smothered in her bosom, right? And she was a lady, you know, this is back in the 60s, when women put on like five times more perfume than they needed to. And uh, I had asthma. So anytime I smelled the flowery stuff, it would trigger my asthma. You know, so here she comes and going, and uh, she'd hug me eternally, let go, and my asthma starts getting triggered. And for hours I could smell that woman. She got on me. See, this, in a not a negative way, in a positive way, is what holiness is. It's God, big, fat God, wrapping his arms around you and pulling you into his bosom, and all of a sudden, you're triggered. You start being different. You're, you're, and when you walk away into your life, you're, you're carrying his aroma. It's his very presence in your life, and you're going, <laughs> this, is, this is the why of prayer. This is the why of running to him in temptation. This is the why of reading the Gospels. I just want to snuggle into him, see who gets triggered. This is the why of worship. This is the why of participating in the Eucharist. This is what we're doing is we're embracing him and walking away with his smell. We are participating in the very stuff of God. Peter, listen to how he puts it. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through knowing God, through knowing Jesus. His divine power, notice how centered it is on him, not on us. His divine power has given us everything we need to live right, everything we need to be holy, to be godly. Through our knowledge of him, he's called us. He's called us. We hear his call and we're pulled into his glory, into his goodness. Through these, his glory and his goodness, he gives us precious promises, great promises, so that through them, we participate, we participate in the divine nature. His stank gets on us. Hmm? And as a result, our asthmatic reaction is that we escape the corruption that's in the world caused by lust. We just See, if you're being naughty... You haven't spent enough time in the bosom. <laughs> my, my, our daily struggle, our quest for holiness shouldn't be, I, I need to get better. I need to be better. I need to live right. I need to stop being naughty. I need to get better. See, we could, our quest should be, how do I get into his presence? How do I, how do I get to him? How do I present myself? Open my heart to a God that from him is coming stuff and through him and to him are all things. How do I find that spot of surrender? It's not about performing. Look how much I pray. Look how much Bible I'm reading. God isn't interested in your performance. He's not interested in what you've earned. In fact, you should not be interested, you should not be interested in what you've earned. Right? You don't want what you've earned. Right? The reality is, Though, it, it's, an, it's a reaction. I still have to this day, all in all honesty, when I find myself grumpy, when I find myself selfish, when I find myself thinking sinful thoughts, 
my first reaction is stupid. You're so stupid. Come on, get with it. See, I immediately try to fix myself. Instead, but after I think about it, I say, no, 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 wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to remember. I didn't fail, and I'm not being stupid because I didn't try hard enough. I'm failing because I tried it all. The best creatures do is fail. When you fail or you're stupid or you're ignorant or you find yourself in sin, what you ought to do is just say, par. I'll tell God, look what I've done. And you know what? I'll keep doing it over and over again if I don't get into it. This is what I do. This is what I do. This is the best I can do. And it's in that kind of sense that we, we realize our only hope of holiness is trust. Our only hope is, is really just moving toward God. See, some people say, oh, I don't know. I do pretty good. See, that's your problem. Some of us have bad sins. You know, most of my sins are not sins I'd be proud of. Some people have really good sins. You know, like they're better than everybody else. They know they're better than everybody else. And the truth is they really are better than everybody else. They're like the Pharisee who says, thank God I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give alms. I do these. He starts listing all the stuff that he's doing. And you know, he's wonderful. See, some of you are really wonderful. Bless your heart. I, you know, but if you trust that, you're going to hell. <laughs> I'm kind of glad my sin is naughty because I never seek to justify it. But I'm telling you, every one of us are sinners. Every one of us fall. Some of, some of you fall, it's very obvious. Some of you fall, but you never get it because you're good. But holiness isn't about you. It's about him. It's about us being broken before him. We, 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 our sin is really an evidence of a faith failure, not a me failure. It's a given that we're me failures. Because here's the bottom line. Here, here's what it is. Only Superman can fly. You've seen the movies. Superman flies. If you want to fly, hang on to Superman. You cannot fly. And I don't care if you fly with Superman for days and he's holding on to you and you think to yourself, you know, Superman, I think I got this down. <laughs> and you're up three miles. You say, get Superman. Say, you know, I got this down. Just let go of me. Just let go of me. And Superman lets go of you. The truth is you will fly, but it will end badly. <laughs> only Jesus can fly. Your only hope for a changed life is the person of God. The second thing I want to say about holiness, my last thing is, holiness is about love. Love. First John 4 says, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Everybody say, God is love. <laughs> Whoever lives in love, what? Lives in God. And God in him. There you have it. Simple, to the point. Jesus claimed that the real thing that would distinguish a believer is not hairdos. It's not whether you say praise the Lord all the time. It's not whether you chew or don't chew or hang around with folks that do. That's not the distinctive thing. The distinctive thing about his followers would be that they love. Watch it. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 
What is your capacity of love? This is the greatest litmus test of holiness. Uh, this doesn't mean that we're to walk around, you know, sort of wearing a goofy grin or, or uh, you know, greeting people with kind of a swarmy, hypersincere, how are you? It doesn't mean that. This is the kind of love, the kind that Jesus talked about, is, is a kind of self-giving, selfless, other-centered caring that isn't always explicit. And sometimes you don't see it until you've been with a person for a while in a multiplicity of circumstances, and you begin to look at them and say, there's something that you don't grab things. You don't retaliate. You give your all even when nobody else is giving their all. There's just something about you and because you're operating on another kind of level. Now, this command of love comes in two parts. First of all, we love God. Everybody say, love God. And then who? And we're supposed to love people. That's good. We'll talk about that in a second. We love God. It simply means that we make him a part of our lives. The most important part. And that we do his will. See, some of us conduct our lives as if God doesn't, didn't exist. I find myself here too. We just ignore him through the day. Hosea said, it's such a simple thing, Hosea 6, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let's acknowledge him. It, the understanding here is that he's, he's here. He's with us. Let's acknowledge him. Let us press on to acknowledge him. Notice it. You've got to push toward this. Why? Because He's here whether we feel him, whether we don't, whether we see him, whether we don't, he's here. And you have to press into that because it doesn't seem like he is. But he says, acknowledge him. And if we do, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. And he will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. See, I believe the biggest part of spirituality is not feeling God, but not being rude. Just not being rude. If I walk up to you after the service and you know, you're hanging out there, two or three of you are talking. I walk up to the crowd or to the little group, and I stand there, and no one even acknowledges me. You know what I'd think? Rude. Rudies. Right? He says, acknowledge me. See, I think God in the morning is standing there with us as we wake up. And God's in the car with us as we drive. And God's in those meetings we're in, in business meetings. Or wherever we are. He's right there. Most of us don't acknowledge him. I remember in high school, as a sophomore in high school, I'd come to Christ, and most of my days I had a pretty good rhythm of spirituality because we were just all involved with spiritual things and had prayer meeting before church, and uh, or before school, rather, <laughs> and then we'd do stuff after school. And this one particular morning, I, I didn't get up to go to, to prayer meeting and go to the Bible study, and I was really, I was stayed up late because I had a test. And I remember uh, going, just rushing to school, doing the test, being there all day, and it was after lunch. Lunch had already finished. I didn't even pray with my food. And... Uh, after, after lunch, I'm walking down the hall, and I remember exactly where I was in Nielsville High School. N-E-I-L-O-S, Woo, you're supposed to go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I remember right where I was. And, and I remember saying, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I haven't even prayed today. And I remember saying inside, Lord. And I heard, I kid you not, good morning. And this was the impression I had. I've been here all day. This is your first acknowledgement. See, what if spirituality is simply about acknowledging him? And if we will dare just simply acknowledge him, not feel him, not see him, but just acknowledge him, just driving down and say, you know, I know you're over there. Put him, put him in the corner of your office and every once in a while I look over and go, wink at him. 
A double dog dare you. Just, to, just to, don't try to feel him. Don't try to, don't try to put on your oh, praise. God. Don't try to get all praise. Don't just raw. I know you're here. Ha ha ha. You're not fooling anybody. I know you're here. And if I'm telling, I just I double dog dare you to try it, and you'll find out that he will appear. As sure as the spring rains come, and, or the winter rains come, and as soon as you know, all the, it just he will appear. He'll start showing up in your life. Just acknowledge it. And then finally, um, there's this business of loving people. I, I, you know, I wish God didn't say that. I wish He just said love people that you like. How many found out just easier to love people that you like? You know what I'm saying? It's just those other weird people who aren't like you. And one guy said it so wonderfully. The more I get to know some people, the better I like my dog. Right? Am I the only one who struggles here? It's, it's, but, but God says, no, you love the weird people. The other people. Christian love starts by seeing people with an eye to their own good rather than in terms of their usefulness or their likableness to you. Instead of treating people according to the pleasure or the displeasure they serve or they, they kind of cause or the personal gain or loss we experience when we're around them, we are called to love them for their own sakes. We are called to act for their genuine good. Christian love is not this quid pro quo arrangement where if you make me feel good, then I'll try to make you feel good. If, you're like, if you like me, then I'll like you. If you don't like me or you're mean to me, I'll be mean to you. It isn't like that. It's this, it's this idea that we cannot treat people conditioned by their treatment of us. That somehow we're to model the Father, Jesus said in Matthew 5. And the Father's the one who sends sunshine on the good people and the bad people, rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He just is reckless and just gives. And he says, you're most like your Father. If you just are kind to people that are kind to you, yippee i So what if you're just, the Gentiles do that, the pagans do that. But he said, when you move toward your enemies, when you move toward people and love them, this is like when you're most like my father. See, the Christian rule of thumb is this. It's his holiness. Persons are not to be hated, period. People are to be loved, period. And you are an expression of that. I am an expression of that. That's God's will. That means that we don't just put up with them. It means we seek communion. It means that we move toward understanding and appreciation. It means that the Holy Spirit will prod our hearts and, 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 and we just need to enlarge our hearts and broaden our hearts to include people. That doesn't mean we're for everything they do, but we're always trying to understand them and love them and celebrate them. This, I, you know, I know this is hard. I mean, you know, one classic example. I grew up in a generation where people who got tattoos were either bikers or whores. Yes? How do we, are you, right, am I just, can I be honest here? Janice isn't here. I can be honest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she, she's my conscience. But anyway, I am telling you, when people started getting tattoos in the 90s and in the, you know, the early 2000s, you know, Christian kids and stuff, it was freaking me out. I'm going, Really? You know, you know what you're doing? It was freaking me out. And so I, I was judging. I found myself judging them. I'm sorry, but I did. And I remember deciding in my heart, you know what? I bet you these people are wonderful. I bet you. I mean, they're worth Jesus to God. So I started, every time I ran into somebody I wanted to run from, I'd run right at them. I remember right up here in Tulsa, back in the early 90s, there's this kid who had like stuff stuck in his head and, you know, and, and tattoos on him and stuff. And my first reaction was, oh my gosh, right? But I remember going right up to him and saying, hey, 
I said, did that hurt when they put that in your face? He said, oh, did that hurt? He said, well, let me show you this. <laughs> and he pulled up. No way. So what did, what did that, what, tell me that story. So I mean, by the, just engaging with this kid, fell in love with the kid. You know what's interesting? People are wonderful. I mean, they can be weird, but they're wonderful. And we need to move toward people. We need to be open. It doesn't mean you're celebrating everything they do or agree with everything they do, but I'll tell you what. A lot of times when you really hear people's stories, you understand why it is they do what they do, and you can have a lot of grace for people. Right? That's God's dream for us. Jesus, our Romans says, and this is my last verse, he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Here's my question. The people in your life, you're not called to die for them, but you're certainly called to sacrifice for them, to open your heart to them, to move toward them. And you're most, most like God. This is what holiness is more than anything else. This is more important whether you chew tobacco or not. This is more important. And then Paul said, just a couple of verses before this, that hope does not disappoint us because God poured out his love, there's that perfume, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Somehow, when we move toward God and get in him, that we walk away and his love's in us. And it's weird because when his life starts getting in you, you can't really tell if it's God or not. Sometimes it feels like you. Sometimes it feels like God. I mean, it's, just, it's like it's mixture. You get mixed up because he's in you. But you just find yourself more gracious, find yourself more kind. Find yourself more loving. And it's not God and it's not you. It's both God and you working together. And it's all because of resurrection. Let's stand together. Holiness is possible to you. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. It's within your grasp. Reach out and grab it. Father, we are grateful for your life and for your love. Help us to live holy lives. Amen? Before we leave, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Come up to your seat. Some of you that are part of the sanctuary community, before we merge, know Steve Smith. He, we've been support, supporting him for years and years. He always comes about once a year just to say hello. He works at teaching around the world, and uh, we're supporting him. I wanted him, you know, those of you that, that, that have come into the community or rejoined our community together, I wanted you to be able to see him and meet him for just a moment. Say hello, Steve. Hey, hello. <laughs> Man, I feel a lot better. Because now I know me and my tattoos are welcome here. <laughs> he was the guy I was telling you about. Yeah. Go ahead, <laughs> I got all this removed. Hey, I just want to come by. I love coming once a year. I live in St. Louis. I'm traveling internationally. I'm going to get home tonight, pack tomorrow, and leave Tuesday morning for Indonesia. And, uh, but Sanctuary Church has been a part of what we've been doing now for a lot of years. And my friendship with with Ed and his family has been a long time. He said one of the services he's known me for 150 years, and that's didn't realize I was that old or he was that old either. But um, Sanctuary Church has been able to help us go around the world. And I told you about this last year. And one of the things that we're still actively involved in, and we're actually ramping it up and doing even more, is in India where we help to rescue baby girls who would otherwise be killed by infanticide. If you're not familiar with that, it's just a process with baby girls in India and China. Um, there's, just, there's so many people in India alone, 1.2 billion people. And a baby girl costs a lot more to raise. And um, it's very common. It's sad. It's a little hard on the ears. But 
in the villages, there's a wild plant that grows, and the, they take the, the center of that. There's a little fruit of some fluid. They feed it to that baby girl, and the girl dies in two hours. And um, it's to help, in their minds, to control the girl population. And uh, I'm so excited today. The Sanctuary Church is helping me to rescue some of those girls before they ever get murdered. And uh, you may not know this, but you've helped some baby girls in India have their very, very first birthday. And you may not have known that. And so we're going there. We're helping them. We bring them in. We have a safe house. Uh, we, we tell them, hey, don't kill the girl. We'll take the girl. And then we raise them. We put them in a private school to get the best education they can get in India. We feed them, clothe them, all the medical attention, everything. <laughs> we don't adopt them. It's, they're not an adoption agency. And I get that question asked me often. But we're just going to raise them, and uh, we'll marry them off someday. There's still arranged marriages in in India, I'm not so sure. I'm not far that myself sometimes, but um, <laughs> we'll we'll raise them until they get married. And and uh, sanctuary, thank you, Pastor Ed, all of you that that help us each month, um, which is how we live, and uh, it's a great way in helping people that can't do anything back for us. I love you. Amen. Thank you.